I've got two categories in mind. And I got them from the 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson. And they are outward comforts and inward comforts. And let me read you what he said. There are two things which I have always looked upon as difficult. The one is to make the wicked sad, and the other is to make the godly joyful. And that's us. We are the godly who struggle to be joyful. So what keeps us from joy? What were the categories that Thomas Watson used? He went on to say, Dejection in the godly arises from a double spring, either because their inward comforts are darkened or their outward comforts are destroyed or disturbed. So those are the two categories that we'll work with, the outward comforts and the inward comforts. That's where the danger comes from on the road that we're pursuing to God's glory and our joy. So here is a threat to happiness. Sometimes our outward comforts are disturbed. An outward comfort could be a compliment, could be a date with your wife, could be a good grade on a paper, could be a touchdown could be a raise at work, and you know what I'm talking about. Most of us are familiar with some outward comforts. The problem with outward comforts is that they come and go, and you have zero control over them. It's an illusion, right, that we have control over the circumstances in our life. Some of you have tried to do this. Or you try to do this, and you try to keep up all these outward comforts, to keep things going the way that you need them to go in order for you to be happy. Well, you've learned that your outward comforts are often disturbed. And maybe some of you are saying, they've been destroyed. Not just disturbed, I've had outward comforts totally destroyed. That was a source of comfort, and it is no longer a source of comfort, and I'm never getting it back. You will be criticized. The date will turn into a disagreement. You'll flunk the test. You'll lose the football game. You'll get sick. You'll get demoted. So how do you handle the disturbance of your outward comforts. Some people deny them. It's not happening. I didn't fail. What they're saying is not true. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Or we distract ourselves. Just not going to think about it. I'm just going to get busy. 
and ignore it. And as long as I don't think about this outward comfort that's being disturbed or destroyed, I'll be fine. These are all bad ways to go, by the way. Or just dodging this by avoiding difficulty in your life. Living life, if you will, on the sideline. Not putting yourself in harm's way, not stepping out in faith, not taking risk, not putting yourself in harm's way, even if it's the right thing to do and there's a great payoff and it may lead to joy and the good of others, but many of us are tempted to just kind of watch because we're afraid of getting hurt or we're afraid of our comforts being disturbed. So how do we actually want to handle that? And there's many answers that we could actually give Many good answers from the Bible, but I would encourage you to remember what Solomon taught us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If your Bible is handy, I would just turn there to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I won't read all the verses, but it's verses 1 through 15. Solomon, you will remember... He's giving an account in this book of Ecclesiastes of, among other things, his search for meaning in life, his search for happiness and for significance. And he makes a point in Ecclesiastes 3. And the point is this, and then we'll read a couple of the verses. God is in control and his plan is good. And that's what you've got to remember as a Christian. God is in control of all of this, including all of your disturbed comforts, and his plan is good. Everything that happens is part of God's plan. And God's plan is always good. So he begins with making it exhaustively clear that everything is a part of God's plan, even the difficulty in your life. And he introduces it in verse 1 of chapter 3 when he says... For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Everything. And he uses this term under heaven. Up to this point in the book, he had been using this term under the sun. So here he goes even higher and says under heaven. In other words, from God's point of view, where he sees and he knows everything. There is no higher perspective. And from that vantage point, God says there is a time and a season for everything. He goes on in the next verses and uses the word time 28 times with 14 pairs of words to make his point crystal clear that everything that happens in your life, the good, the bad, the easy, the hard, from the time of your birth to the time of your death, all of it is according to God's plan. God has a plan, and it encompasses every person, every action, all times, and all places. Life is not chance. Life is not fate. It is not luck. It is not karma. Your life is according to a plan. 
That is why David could say in Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hand. And why Solomon said in Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We have many plans, but it is God's plan that will stand. So he makes this point in those first verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that everything is part of God's plan. And then he says this in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, God's plan is beautiful. God's plan is good. In time, that's encouraging because it doesn't always look in the moment or the moments after or sometimes the days, weeks, months, maybe even years after like something beautiful is being made. But rest assured, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And so understanding that, we can praise God. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know it's going to work out, Romans 8, 28, for my good. I know that God will be glorified in this. And we can do what they had to do in Habakkuk. Chapter 3, verse 16, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. What is he talking about? His outward comforts have all been disturbed. Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. Not in these bad things that are happening to me, but I will rejoice in the Lord who does not change. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So what do we do, Christian, when our outward comforts are disturbed? We remember that everything is part of God's plan and God's plan is always good. And then we praise him. And now here's a second threat to our happiness. Second, sometimes our inward comforts are darkened. Sometimes it's our outward comforts being disturbed, and sometimes our inward comforts are darkened. What are these inward comforts that don't come from without, but they, they come from within? Are they thoughts about how amazing you are? They're not. They are thoughts about God. True inward comforts are not thoughts about how great you and I are because those thoughts can never stand the test of time. 
And if you've had high thoughts of yourself, they typically don't last very long, rightly. Because you're faced with the reality that you're a sinner. And you fail, and you sin, and you let people down, and you hurt feelings, and you're selfish. These inward comforts are thoughts about God. Listen to the first two questions and answers from an Orthodox catechism written by Hercules Collins in 1680. Yes, his name was Hercules. And this, this gets right to, in the very first questions, addressing this pursuit that we all have for happiness and peace and joy. The very first two questions in this catechism get right down to it. Question number one, what is your only comfort in life and death? And here's the answer. That both in soul and body, whether I live or die, I am not my own but belong wholly unto my most faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By his most precious blood, fully satisfying for all my sins, he has delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not so much as a hair may fall from my head. Yes, all things must serve for my safety, and by his Spirit also he assures me of everlasting life and makes me ready and prepared that from now on I may live to him. Question two. How many things are necessary for you to know that enjoying this comfort, you may live and die happily. And that's almost the exact question we're asking today. What are the inward comforts that we need? What do we need to know that we may live and die happily? Answer, three things. First, what is the greatness of my sin and misery? Second, how I am delivered from all sin and misery. Third, what thanks I owe to God for this delivery. That is it. According to Mr. Collins' catechism, to live and die happily, we must know, number one, the greatness of our sin. Number two, the greatness of our salvation. And number three, gratitude for our Savior. So our inward comforts boil down to knowing Christ and his great love for us. Now the problem, again is that we easily forget. Do a study sometime of your Bible, a word study, and look up how many times God has to tell his people to remember. 
we easily forget. We are prone to wander. And when we forget the greatness of our sin and the greatness of our Savior and how great our gratitude should be to Him, what is happening is that our inward comforts, those inward comforts that we need for joy, they become darkened. So how do we keep our inward comforts from being darkened? And I'm going to sound in a second like a broken record. Because there is nothing novel here. There is nothing cutting edge. There is no new book that I can recommend to you. The the answer has been the same since Adam and Eve. You have control over this. Your inward comforts becoming darkened, which is good news. You do have control over this. And note that you are not called to control anything else in your life other than yourself. There is no mention in the Bible of kid control or spouse control or others control or circumstance control, but self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. You can, by the Holy Spirit, and are expected to control yourself, which of course includes controlling your thoughts. There is a difference between just listening to yourself passively and actively talking to yourself. And I hope you all talk to yourself. And I don't mean walking throughout the house only and reminding yourself, as me and my wife do, about what we need to do and what's next and sort of talking out loud. And if someone were to see us, we'd look a little crazy. But reminding yourself of truth. Preaching to yourself. We are to take our thoughts captive according to 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12.2. Philippians 4.8 tells us to sink the teeth of our mind into the right thoughts, into things that are true and honorable and pure. So when our inward comforts become darkened, when we just lose sight of the glory and the grace of God, we must be reminded. Friends remind us. Family reminds us. A preacher reminds us. Our pastors remind us. We must remind ourselves. If we forget, and we do, we must read and study God's word, and we must pray. And you're thinking, I've heard this before. That's it. When we forget, 
about the glory and the goodness and the grace and the promises of God. And you wouldn't think we would, but we do. We get caught up. We get busy. We get interrupted by something. Something difficult happens. It doesn't go our way. And before we know it, we're thinking things that aren't right. We're forgetting who God is and what he's done for us and what he's promised to do. We get in these tailspins. You know what this is like. So when we forget, what do we need to do? We must read and study God's word and we must pray to him. And then lest we forget, like we don't have to just be reactive, we can also be proactive. So we forget and we got to react to that and remind ourselves, but there's also things that we must be doing as Christians so that we don't forget in the first place. And that is that we must be, please, we must be Christians totally committed to regularly putting our hearts and our minds before God and before His people and before His Word. And if we are not regularly putting our hearts and minds before God and before His people and before His Word, it is only a matter of time and you will forget. So on our own, we... We read God's word. On our own, we talk to God. We're committed to private worship of God. We're committed to public worship of God, personal and corporate worship. There's a desperation for us in being in worship on a Sunday where we can come before God and before his people and before his word. We know that it is a lifeline between us and God. We know how important fellowship is. That we are with other Christians. That we are talking about God. That we are reminding each other of his glory. So what do we do? When our happiness is compromised because our inward comforts become darkened, we must get ourselves before God, his people, and his word, that our thoughts may be changed. And then praise God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, What is it that leads to worship and praise, to exaltation, to adoration? The answer is that it is always the understanding. The only singing that is of any value in the sight of God is that which is based upon the understanding of truth. And so we remind ourselves of God's truth so that we may sincerely praise him. In conclusion, if you are here today and you're not a Christian, then you need to know that you will never find lasting happiness. You will never find lasting happiness. You will find something, maybe, that is superficial. You will find something, maybe, that is temporal. 
but you won't find anything that enables you to face the harsh realities without and within and still find joy. Even if you are able to pile up around you everything that this world has to offer from wealth to possessions to success, it will not be enough. You need to know that you are a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. Some of you know that story where John Newton was asked when he was 82 years old and his mind was starting to disintegrate and his memory was starting to fade. And he said this, although my memory is fading, I remember two things clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So if you are not a Christian, that is what you need to know, that you are a great sinner, that Christ is your great Savior, that he has, through his death on the cross, he has paid the price for sin, that he has, in his perfect life, he has lived the life that his people should have lived. And he offers the credit of that life. And he offers the payment paid in full of his death to those who would believe that good news, turn from their sin, and entrust themselves to him. And so you should do that today. You shouldn't wait another minute. You should do that right now. You should take hold of this truth and believe it because it is truth that you would be saved. For those of you who are Christians... The key to lasting happiness is living for the glory of God. We are happiest when we are praising God. So when our outward comforts are disturbed, and they will be, they've been disturbed this morning, I bet, or they'll be disturbed on your way home from church. If not by then, they are bound to be disturbed by dinner. So your outward comforts will be disturbed. And you must remember that everything that happens, it is part of God's plan, and it is always good, and then praise Him. And just don't waste your time trying to figure out how it all works for good. We are not called to live by sight, but to live by faith. So it requires something that is outside your ability to see and understand and comprehend how the puzzle pieces fit together. God's ways, Isaiah 55, are not our ways. And so we must live by faith and trust God, who has proven himself, has a perfect track record that when he says his plan is good, 
His plan is good. And what looks like a mess today, we guaranteed know that one day we will see the beautiful picture that God was painting. We have to remember that. And when our inward comforts are darkened, we must return to God, his people, and his word, and then praise him. We can praise God this morning in response to this sermon as we take communion together. That's one of the things we do when we we take these symbols that Jesus told us to take, this bread and this juice. Isn't that one of the things that we do when we take communion together? We praise him. I'm sure you confess sin. I'm sure you're convicted of your sin. I'm sure that you sometimes feel totally unworthy to take that bread and that juice. And you pour out your heart to God in the moments before and ask for that clean slate again. I hope and you should, no matter what, praise him. As you're reminded of his life and you're reminded of his death, Gratitude and thankfulness should swell up in your heart. And we praise God together as a family. So I would encourage you in accordance with 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, to examine yourself this morning. To not let this great thing we do every week just become routine and meaningless, but to remember 1 Corinthians 11, which says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You're invited to take communion with us if you are a baptized believer, if you have confessed your sin and you have placed your faith in Christ and you are committed to him and to his people, whether you're a part of this church or committed to another that preaches the same gospel here today. We have leaders up front who will serve you if you're visiting. We ask that you would come forward with everyone else and then take the bread and the juice back to your seat and wait and we'll take it together as a church family. Let's pray again. Our Father in heaven, we're responding to your word today. And here we are, your people, under you and under your word. And we've been reminded of your glory so that these inward comforts are not darkened, but are in broad daylight. And in light of that, God, we're thankful and grateful. No matter what we're also sorrowful about today, no matter what we're anxious or worried about today, by your grace, we are also joyful. 
because you never change and your love for us will never change. And so in this time, God, we give you praise and glory and honor and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.